Good morning. We welcome you here again. We're so thankful for your presence today. It is a beautiful day, and we're grateful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we thank you if you're visiting. Thank you for coming our way. We appreciate so much you coming to visit with us today. We'd love to invite you to come back. If you are looking for a church home, as always, we encourage you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you as a part of our church family. I believe we have a great church family. I know I'm partial, but we've got so many great people here, and we're so thankful that we can, as a family, stand together. And so we're together in good times and in bad times. I hope and pray that you had a great Bible class hour. We had a great class in the auditorium. Brother Torrance did a great job, and we appreciate him. And I'm sure that all the other teachers did an outstanding job this morning. In our study today, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 21. And the theme of our study today, the Holy City. I, like many of you, have had the opportunity to visit some picturesque cities all across this country. I was thinking just a little earlier about how I've seen the beauty of San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Sacramento. I've had the opportunity to visit a lot of very beautiful places in this world. And there are some cities that no doubt stand out and, and that captivate our attention. There are some cities that you visited, and I'm sure you look forward to revisiting. You know, there are a lot of cities in this world, there are a lot of beautiful cities, but there's only one holy city, and that's the one we want to talk about today, the holy city. John describes it as the New Jerusalem. We call it heaven. And really, when you think about living the Christian life, and trying to live day by day, the goal of every Christian is to one day be in heaven, isn't it? You know, Jesus had a lot to say about heaven. As a matter of fact, as Jesus began His earthly ministry, in Matthew chapter 6, what's typically called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say to disciples of all ages that we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church or to the saints in Philippi, said in the long ago that our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. The Hebrew writer in chapter 13 said, And here we have no continuing city, but we seek that city to come. We look forward to the day when we can be together in that beautiful, holy city called heaven. My prayer today is that you're on the road that will ultimately lead you to that picturesque city spoken of by John in Revelation chapter 21. So I want to begin today by first of all talking about the glimpse that we are afforded into heaven. And as you contemplate the beauty of heaven and all that heaven means to you, I want to begin by first of all emphasizing the fact that 
There is a great promise made concerning this holy city. John said in Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He said the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And then he would go on to say, Then I, John, saw the holy city coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her angels. We live in a day and time when Promises mean something to us, don't they? When people give us our word, we expect them to live up to their word. There are people in society today that sometimes make promises, and they'll give you their word, but sadly, they don't follow through. What I want to say today is that when it comes to heaven and the promises made in Scripture, we can bank upon those promises because of the ones who spoke of it. What about the testimony of the saints? We just read Revelation chapter 21. John here is placing his stamp of authority on this holy city, New Jerusalem, that he said he saw coming down out of heaven from God. I mentioned the fact that the apostle Paul in the long ago said our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 said, because of the resurrected Christ, and what that means to us, we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible, undefiled, and it fades not away. And he said, it's reserved in heaven for you. Well, what about the testimony of these saints? Is it reliable? You know, the Bible says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit according to 2 Peter chapter 1. Jesus said that these apostles would be guided into all truth in John 16, 13. Whatever they have recorded about this holy city is believable, reliable, trustworthy, because these men spoke by inspiration. We're talking about the God-breathed Scriptures. But then what about the testimony of the Savior? Look, if you would, in Revelation chapter 21. The Bible says that the one who sat upon the throne said, it is done. He said, I make all things new. Right, for these words are true and faithful. I think here God is placing His divine stamp of approval on this holy city, isn't He? And the Lord is saying to us that what I have said about this glorious holy city is true. You can trust it. Now what about the picture that we're afforded into this holy city? mentioned a moment ago, there are some beautiful places in this world. No doubt you've had the opportunity to visit a lot of places domestically. There are some of you that have traveled internationally. And I would imagine that you have been moved in seeing some of the spectacular places of God's creation. But nothing this side of eternity can compare to that heavenly city 
that we call heaven. As a matter of fact, John provides us a glimpse into this picturesque city. And he describes for us, using human language, accommodative language, to somehow impress upon us the beauty and splendor of heaven. Now, as you just contemplate in your own mind some of the beautiful places that you've visited, maybe some of the places that you've lived, could I say to you that nothing, absolutely nothing, will compare to the beauty of heaven? Listen to what John said in verse 10. He said the Spirit had carried him to a great and high mountain, verse 10, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like a precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. He begins to describe the beauty of this city using precious stones or precious gems. For example, down in verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And so, John here is trying to lift the veil and give us insight into the majesty of this place that one day we'll call home. The one day that we're all hoping to live together in. And so, it is a beautiful, beautiful place pictured. But what about the duration of heaven? You know, in Matthew chapter 25, when the Lord Jesus talked about coming with all of His holy angels and being seated upon the throne of His glory. He said He would separate the sheep from the goats. To those on the right hand, He would say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And down in verse 46, talking about those who have lived and served Him, He said, These shall go away into eternal life. That's what we're talking about. Being in a place where we will live forevermore. Now that's difficult for us to grasp, difficult for us to wrap our minds around. A place where we will be throughout all of eternity. We live today in, in a world governed by time. The beauty of heaven is there are no time limitations imposed upon it. It is an eternal city. As Peter said, it is a place that's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It's not something that's just going to transition out of existence. But rather, we're talking about that which is eternal. The eternal home of the soul. There's a second thing I want you to see. First, we talk about the glimpse that John provides for us of this heavenly city. But what about the glory 
of this heavenly city. What is it that's going to make heaven, what is it that's going to make heaven special to us? Have you ever thought about that? What separates heaven from earth? Well, one would be, one is eternal, the other is ephemeral or transitory. It's temporal. But I think there are a couple of thoughts that help to maybe put into perspective what makes heaven so unique and so special. Number one, to understand that we will be in the very presence of God. And we've read how many times in Scripture? How many times have we read where Moses wrote in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we can read about in Exodus chapter 3 when God called upon Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And we're reminded of the fact that Moses was in the very presence of God. Did you know that one day you will stand in the presence of an eternal God? As we noted last week in our study in Psalm 90, as Moses said, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Isaiah wrote, have you, not, have you not heard, have you not known the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? That's who we're talking about. God, who made us in His image and likeness. The very God of whom David said in the long ago that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's something unique about us, and it's because housed within us is an eternal soul. So we're going to be in the very presence of a sovereign God, but not just in the presence of a sovereign God, but we will be in the presence of the Son of God. You remember in John chapter 14, Jesus had been talking about going away. The disciples were distraught. Peter had affirmed that he would be willing to lay down his life, if need be, for Jesus. And then Jesus talked about going away to prepare an eternal abiding place for his people. And in verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. This is the very one who said to his disciples in the first century, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is the one who has made it possible for us to spend eternity in the presence of God. We've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John countless times. We've taken passages of Scripture, the very words of Jesus, and committed those words to memory because of how special they are. We've read Revelation chapter 20 when John said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, talking about the second member of the Godhead, the one before whom we will stand. We have lifted our voices in praise to God and to the Son of God in song. 
We prayed to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son by His authority. And we have served and we have served and labored in His name. And one day we will be in His presence, in the presence of the Lamb. That's what makes it so special. That's what makes it so unique. So number one, we will be in the presence of God, but number two, we will be in the presence of the people of God. I, like many of you, have some very special people that have already stepped out into eternity, and they're on the other side. You know, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about Christians who are suffering. And in that context, he talks about committing their souls unto Him who is a faithful Creator. Well, I've got some people in the presence of God, and they are in the hands of a faithful Creator. And through the eye of faith, I can see them today. And through the eye of faith, I believe with all of my heart, there is coming a day when I will stand face to face with them once again. What a reunion that will be. To stand face to face, shoulder to shoulder, with people that I've loved and known, with people that I have spent some of the best part of my life with. And there are some treasures that you have over there too, aren't there? There are some people that mean all the world to you. And they're in the hand of God right now. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, there's some people that I know who are in the presence of the Lord. And my goal is to one day be in the presence of God. I know what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 when he said to depart and be with Christ is far better. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To be in that heavenly city. We sing a song sometimes. Heaven holds all to me. Does heaven mean everything to you? Look, when it's all said and done, the dust clears. The only thing that we have to ultimately look forward to is heaven, isn't it? I mean, the turmoil and the tragedies and the tears and all of the tribulations and temptations and the things that we deal with on a constant basis. But to know that one day, we can be reunited with the people that we love. You remember Abraham, called the friend of God? When Abraham's wife died, the Bible talks about how he mourned for her, shed tears on her behalf. And I can understand why, because he lost somebody very dear to his soul. He buried a treasure. But when Abraham died, the Scripture says that he was gathered to his people. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting phrase. 
He was gathered to his people. Well, what people? Family. The people he loved. And so one day, I fully expect to be reunited with the people that I've loved. It'll be a place of rejoicing, won't it? It'll be a place where we can live in the presence of God and in the presence of the people of God, and we can rejoice evermore. The world that we live in, do we have laughter and happiness and contentment? Sure. But those things in many respects are short-lived in comparison to eternity. You see, over there, it's constant rejoicing. It's a state of bliss, if you please. You remember John in writing to the saints in the first century, the Christians who were suffering? You remember what he said? Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. To be in a place unlike any other place. And then... Could I suggest to you in the third place, not only are we afforded a glimpse into heaven, and we read something about the glory of heaven, but what about the guarantee? The guarantees of heaven. Now there are, as I said a moment ago, there are some beautiful places in this world and there are people that we enjoy spending time with and enjoying their fellowship, and because they're family and friends, they mean everything to us. But there are some things that, about, that are spoken of about heaven that are unique, unparalleled. So what about the guarantees of heaven? Well, first and foremost, I can tell you, that based upon Scripture, we're looking forward to being in a place where there is no more grief. I want you to read with me Revelation chapter 21 in verse 4. In Revelation chapter 20, 21 verse 4, here's what John the Apostle wrote. Guided by the Holy Spirit. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. No sorrow. No crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For these former things have passed away. Number one, John's saying, when we step out into that heavenly city, there will be no more separations. This past week, our world was jolted when some of our family members lost probably their most special treasure, a little two-year-old baby, an angel, little girl by the name of Piper. I don't have the words 
to express the hurt and grief that they feel today. But I know one thing, that baby's in a far better place. And let me tell you what, there's coming a day when we can see that baby again. There won't be any more separation. We'll never again stand at the side of an open grave and have to say goodbye to somebody that we have loved with every ounce of our being. You know, sometimes we, in times of grief and sorrow and tragedy, we have a tendency to ask the question, why? And there are times in life when people ask, why would God allow that to happen? The blame isn't on God. The one we blame is the devil. And I know this, the Hebrew writer said that Jesus came to destroy him who had the power of death, and that is the devil. When Jesus rose from the dead, he dealt the devil a death blow from which he will never recover. God understands, doesn't he? Don't you think it's interesting in John chapter 11 when Jesus had the opportunity to go back and visit the hometown of his friends, Mary and Martha. And they were despondent because their loved one, their brother, had died, Lazarus. And in the midst of that teary-eyed household, and then the accompaniment to the gravesite, What's the text say about Jesus? It says he wept, didn't he? And don't we serve a God? Don't we serve a God of whom the Hebrew writer said can feel with us, he can understand the things that we experience in this life? Yes, he can. Friday afternoon when I stood here with the funeral person, funeral directors, and they were getting things ready for the family. They talked about that little angel. And as I stood there with them, I thought about Jesus. You remember on one occasion, Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus. You know what? There's coming a day when the one who holds the keys to the cemetery will open those doors and he will empty out the cemeteries. No more separations. No more sorrows. The Bible says there won't be any more crying. There won't be any more tears because God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen, I want to go to that place, don't you? I want to be in that place where there are no more sorrows and there are no more separations. Somebody asked me yesterday if I knew how many funerals I had conducted. I have no idea. 
But I can tell you this, I've conducted my share and more. It would gratify my soul if I never had to conduct another funeral service. But I know the world we live in. But I want to be in that place where we never again say goodbye. Don't you? No more grief. And then no more godlessness. I mentioned the holy city. Tell me a city in this country or around the world that you know of that is without question a holy city. Can you tell me one? Would you say Olive Branch, Mississippi is a quote-unquote holy city? Or Memphis, Tennessee, or Chicago, or Atlanta, or Miami, or San Francisco, or Los Angeles? The answer is no. There is not one holy city in this entire world. Now, there are holy people, the church, but there are no holy cities. But there is a holy city. That holy city we're talking about is heaven. It's the New Jerusalem. It's the one that we're reading about in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. And I want to ask you this question. One day the dust is going to clear in your life. You know, when I was a kid, we used to have a place that we like to go just across the state line in North Georgia. It was an amusement park. And man, I can't begin to tell you how much fun it was as a kid. We'd buy tickets and we would ride, I don't know how many rides. And every ride was so much fun. But when it was all said and done, at the end of the day, guess what? I had to go home. At some point in time, the train will stop here for you. At some point in time, the carousel will stop and you'll have to get off. You'll leave this world for eternity. So could I ask you, Do you have a home waiting for you on the other side? You think about the people that are over there waiting for you. The question is, do you have that promise? Heaven is a prepared place. That's what Jesus said, John 14. But it is for prepared people. Piper was a baby. Her ticket was punched. I know where she is. I don't have any doubt, any reservation whatsoever. My question to you today, will heaven be your home? Don't leave here today outside of Christ. Listen, the Bible says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth will set you free, won't it? What would you need to do to ensure that one day heaven will be your home? 
You've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God because Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And He said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. So you don't want to die in sin. Paul said the wages of sin is death. So you've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Turn from a life of sins called repentance. Confess His name before others and then be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away and let God put you in the church. And once you become a member of the body of Christ, be faithful. Live for Him day in and day out. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's say you're in Christ. For whatever reason, you got sidetracked. And you're not where you need to be right now. Could we encourage you to make the decision today to live in such a way so that you will be in heaven one day? Well, what would you need to do? You know, John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can tell you this, our elders would be more than happy to lead us in prayer with you and for you. And the beauty is God will, God will cleanse every stain. Don't leave here today thinking that God doesn't love you, that God's not interested in you. Don't leave here today without the assurance of heaven, but rather make it right today. Make sure that you have that place reserved for you in what Peter called the place of heaven. Won't you come as we stand and sing?